Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to continue our series today on a season of suddenlies. I started two weeks ago uh, on the power of prayer and the season of suddenlies. I believe that God wants us to walk into this season. I believe that each of us are, uh, have opportunities to experience these suddenly moments with God. And your prayer life is the proportion in which you will encounter these suddenly moments with God. If you're not praying, if you're not spending personal quality time with God, don't expect to see it suddenly season. But for those of us that are pressing into God in prayer, expect your suddenly moment. I shared with our uh, Evangelism Explosion class, which is happening again tonight at 6, 6 to 7, we have Evangelism Explosion. Uh, and we're going to be, I'm going to be teaching on the practicality of sharing your faith and giving you, giving you basically an outline of how to share your faith from the introduction to how to communicate the gospel to asking for a response, all of it. So if you've, if you've ever had trouble sharing your faith, I would encourage you to come out tonight and I'll give you some practical tips for that. But uh, a couple weeks ago I shared with, or I guess it was last week, I shared with our evangelism explosion class uh, my, one of my suddenly moments, and I, I will share it with you, because you know, many times as a pastor, I spend much of my time meeting with y'all. I spend much of my time, all y'all, sorry. I spend much of my time, uh, someone actually corrected my y'all the other day from the south. They said, I guess because you're in the north now, you say you guys. And I said, no, I don't say that. I say y'all. And actually, our church people are starting to say y'all and all y'all in meetings. I'm hearing it quite frequently, so I'm glad you're converting. Anyway... Um, <laughs> Anyway, so, you know, I spend a lot of time in, in meetings with church people, and, and my interaction is a lot of times very limited with the lost because I spend a lot of time here in meetings, and, and my life revolves around the church and equipping church people to minister. And uh, in New Orleans, we, you know, were in the community and had a lot of interaction, and so I knew, okay, God, we've got to start having this interaction again here in Ohio. We've got to get acclimated again with the community and such, figure out where the people are. And so Heather's great at this. Heather has a gift for evangelism. She, her, she, has a, she has a supernatural gift for evangelism on her life. She can walk into a place full of Christians, and the one sinner is going to find her out and come find her and attach to her. I mean, that's just her gift, she, and she's awesome. She has supernatural favor with the lost. It's incredible. Uh, that's not always necessarily true in my life. I have to work at evangelism. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not a people person. I don't like engaging people. So personal evangelism, all that, I have to actually work at it. It's not something that just comes naturally in the sense of a gift or a skill. And uh, so anyway, I was praying, God, you know, I'm preaching on suddenly moments and, and we're, I need to engage in personal evangelism. I can't just teach on this and not personally be involved. Your pastor is not one of those who preaches something that I don't live. I live everything that we preach and teach. And uh, so I said, Lord, I've got to engage myself. And so I just need my suddenly divine moment because that's the only way it's going to come at this point. I don't know any heathen dogs around here yet, so you're going to have to help me. So I'm sitting at Starbucks, and um, this was one of my suddenly moments here of the past couple of weeks. I'm sitting at Starbucks and, of course, that's my second office. For anybody who's had meetings with me, they're either here at Starbucks. And uh, I, take, I have stock, I think, in, in Starbucks somewhere. But uh, I'm sitting at, at the table doing my work, and, and I'm supposed to have a meeting. It didn't work out. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, I can go back to the church office, finish my work. I have a full day of visits today, and I'm going to be all over the place. I had you know, a full day of schedule. And I'm sitting there, and I'm about ready to close my computer and come back to the office, get a couple things done, meet with a couple of people, and head out to my next visit. And I just felt like I needed to stay put, not get up and leave. And so I just kept work finishing what I was doing. And then this girl comes in, and she goes to the register. 
She gets her drink, and she's walking back, you know, out the door. And as she's walking out the door, she sees one of her friends, and she comes over and starts talking to the guy that's sitting literally right behind me. And if you've ever been at Starbucks, you know you're sitting on top of one another. And so I can hear their entire conversation. And she begins to share about how her sister had just overdosed on heroin and died, and they resuscitated her, and, you know, she begins to walk through the story. And, of course, my ears perk up. (laughs) Yes, I have a suddenly moment. I haven't heard about drug addicts since we moved to Ohio. I am so excited. I have a heroin addict. Woo, I'm excited. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and for the, you know, if, if for those of you that don't know us, we, uh, we're, we're from New Orleans, and that's very common. We dealt with that a lot in our, in our ministry there with drugs and, and prostitutes, strippers, you name it. We were in the middle of it and seeing God set people free. And uh, so I got excited, and uh, I thought, okay, here's my suddenly moment. Man, I wish my wife was here because she would, you know, she's the drug dealer in the family. She could have really, <laughs> she could really help, she could really help out in this situation. And uh, she was this girl, the sister was at a party, and, and she thought she was taking cocaine, and it was laced, and blah, 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 it was a mess. So I got up, threw my drink away, and I came back and I sat down and they said, oh, we're sorry, did we interrupt you? And I said, no, you didn't interrupt me. I said, actually, I'd like to interrupt you if you don't mind. And they said, no. And I said, well, I'm sitting right beside you, so I can't help but overhear everything you're talking about. My wife and I are pastors, and, and actually, I know a great women's rehab um, for women who have gone through addiction and are in addiction. I said, I'd love to recommend you to that rehab. And I said, it's in New Orleans, we're from there, and it's a wonderful women's rehab. So we actually helped get it started, and, uh, you know, we're really proud of it. We, you know, whatever we need to to do, whatever, you know, so we're going on. She's like, well, I know New Orleans. My husband was in the Army and and stationed outside of New Orleans, so we we were there for a time. Where where was it? So I started telling her. She's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly where you're at. So anyway, I had this great connection. She knew exactly where the church was and the rehab was, and just being able to encourage her. Now, did she get born again in that moment? No, but there was a seed that was sown and hope was given in her life. So I want to encourage you. You may, you may find yourself in those simple moments with God, but they become life-changing moments for somebody else. If you'll press into prayer, if you'll live a life of prayer, you'll begin to experience those suddenly moments, and then you'll begin looking for them because you've been praying for them. You've been praying and asking God to prepare you for those moments, and then you'll start experiencing them and looking for them every day of your life. In Matthew chapter 14, we find one of these suddenly moments. Remember, suddenly, as I said two weeks ago, was described or defined as immediate, swift, without notice, out of the blue, or prompt. God wants to do something in your life that's out of the blue for you. God wants to do something that's supernatural, unexpected. And isn't, isn't it true that we pray, we wait, and we expect, and then when God does it, we're like, wow, I didn't expect that. That was awesome. I wasn't, I wasn't believing that was going to happen. Well, God wants to do those kinds of things in your life on a daily basis. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 says, immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000 They were hungry. They wanted food. The disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, these people need to go home. They're hungry. And Jesus said, you feed them. Jesus, we we don't have just but a little boy's lunch. What are we going to do with that? And that would talk about a suddenly moment. Talk about a suddenly moment when God begins to break the fish and the bread and it supernaturally multiplies and feeds over 5,000 people, even so much so that they have leftovers. So immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitude, and, and he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now I just want to pause there for just a moment and say this: that Jesus is praying for you. He knows exactly what you've gone through. I would imagine. Jesus' prayer on the mountain first went something like this. He had, the Bible said that he was moved with compassion for the crowds as he fed them. They were like sheep without a shepherd, the Bible says. And so I would imagine that Jesus, as he went up on the mountain to pray, was reflecting, part of his prayer was reflecting on what just took place. He had spent his time ministering to the crowds. 
He was moved with compassion for these people who had no food, who were hungry, but more than just physically hungry, were spiritually hungry. He saw something in them. He saw a need in them, and he went to his father and prayed for those he had just fed. Wow, what a, what a picture of the relationship with God, what a picture of our prayer life ought to be. That we begin to pray that when we are moved, first we need to be moved with compassion, but then once we're moved with compassion, we act and we pray for those that God compels us to minister to. And that's what Jesus did. He went up and he prayed. And then I believe the second part of his prayer was preparation for what was about ready to take place. It was preparation for the storm that was coming. Jesus told Peter that I have prayed for you that once your faith is sifted, that it will remain strong and you'll encourage the brother and after. That there's coming a day, Peter, when your faith is going to be sifted. But know this, I have prayed for you. And Jesus, I believe, was praying for the disciples as they were out in the middle of the lake and about ready to experience a severe storm. Jesus is praying for you that in the middle of your severe storm, he's praying that your faith will remain and you'll be able to encourage others also. Amen. God wants your faith to remain. Those hardships and the difficulties that you and I go through and that we face, rest assured, Jesus is praying for you in the middle of those things. So he goes up on the mountain, he prays, and he says, Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. But Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Lord, I just thank you this morning for your word. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and challenge each of us this morning to get out of our boats and walk on the water with you in a new way. And I just thank you for it in your name. Amen. You know, Jesus, the Bible talks about that Jesus took a lot of walks with people. The Lord took a lot of walks. We see in, in uh, Genesis that Adam and Eve walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. Abraham, when he took his son up to Moriah to sacrifice his son, God was with him. God was with the Israelites as they journeyed through the desert, the fire and the, the clouds. He walked with them 40 years. We know that Jesus walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and their hearts were strangely warmed. God walked with Paul on the road to Damascus and a bright light came and shone around him. The Lord took a lot of walks with people, but probably one of the most unforgettable walks that we can remember in Scripture is this journey that Peter here takes with the Lord on the water. It's probably not so much the fact of where he was as what he was walking on that is unforgettable. He was walking on the water with Jesus. Today, God's calling you out of your boat to walk on the water with Him. This story, this occurrence with Peter is about people who want to experience the presence and the power of God in their lives like they've not yet experienced. More than what you can bring on your own strength and your own ability. Have you reached the end of yourself yet? Are you still striving to do something in your own strength? Are you still striving to walk out this Christian life on your own strength? Are you still striving to do what God's called you to do in your own strength? Are you still laboring and working in vain to build the kingdom of God in your life? Can I just tell you that really your efforts and your striving and your struggles are to focus on striving to enter the place where Jesus is. Stop striving in your own strength to do something that you can't do 
You have to get out of the boat and walk with Jesus. You can't walk on the water unless you're Jesus. Anybody here understand what I'm saying? You can't get out and walk on the water in your own strength. You have to walk with Jesus. Our striving is to enter his rest. Our striving is to enter into his presence. Our work, our effort is not building our kingdom, our ministry, our Christian life. Our efforts and our energy is focused on pressing in to the presence of the Lord. And here's Peter finding himself in a place with Jesus walking on the water. The first thing I want to take a look here is this storm. The Bible says that the boat was tossed by the wind. It was tossed by the sea. That word tossed in the Greek means to test the purity of gold or silver, to question by torture, to vex or to torment, to be distressed. This is what that word tossed. The toss was proving, in other words, that boat. When you get out in the middle of the storm, James says, says it like this, count it all joy, brethren, when you face trials of various kinds, because why it is testing your faith, it's proving your faith. So instead of getting worried about the storm, instead of struggling over the storm, count it all joy, command yourself to be in a place of joy. Why? Because Jesus is walking on the water. Why do you count it? How can you count it all joy in the middle of the test, in the middle of the storm? Because Jesus is right there in the middle of that storm with you. The storm, the Bible says, occurred in between 3 and 6 a.m. They were out in the middle of the sea. When you're out in the middle of the sea, you can't see land. All you see is the, the storm brewing. The waves that are being tossed. You can smell the, the, the water in the air. You can feel the tension among the people that you're with. Here are professional fishermen that are unprepared for the storm. And they're starting to get a little nervous. They didn't recognize though when Jesus came walking their way. They thought it was a ghost. Why? Because their eyes were fixated on the storm. They didn't see through eyes of faith. When you're in the middle of the storm, you have to see through eyes of faith and see Jesus in the middle of the storm with you. Not through the natural eyes of man. You have to see with the eyes of faith. Don't miss Jesus as he's walking by you today in the middle of your circumstance. Don't miss the presence of the Lord in your life because your eyes are fixated on the, on the storm that's raging around you. Don't miss the opportunities that God's placed in your life. And Jesus comes in the, Mark 6 kind of indicates here that Jesus was going to pass them by. He came with the intention to pass them by. This is very interesting. We find this a couple times in the Old Testament. If you go with me to Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, we find an occurrence where, where God's presence was going to pass them by. You see, a lot of times we think Jesus is being insensitive to our situation because he wants to pass us by. But that's not really the intent of God. If we take a look here in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 14, it says, And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Again, if you stop striving on your own, you'll enter into his presence and find rest. Then he said to them, if your presence does not go with us, this is Moses talking to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Basically, God told Moses, because of the rebellion of the people, I will, I will send my angel with you. You will have success. Everything that you need will be taken care of, but, but my presence will not go with you. And Moses said, please, Lord, we don't want to go up from here if your presence doesn't go with us. We need your rest. You know, you can strive and you can have success. God will give you success. If you're strive and struggling on your own, God will give you your success. But will you have his presence that brings rest? Or will you find yourself in emotional turmoil and stress and struggle in the middle of your success? You can build your kingdom. You can have your successful ministry. But will you have the presence of the Lord that goes with you? Anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? For how will it then be known that your people have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Is that your prayer? Can you find, find yourself this morning 
like Moses, God, would you just show me your glory? God, would you just show me your glory? I don't, I don't want the success. I'm not, I'm not leading the people of Israel because of success. I'm not doing this because I want to see earthly measure of success. I'm doing this because you called me. I'm doing this because I had an encounter with your presence that's changed my life. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? I've had an encounter with your presence that's impacted me, that's changed me. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's not about my earthly success. So God, please don't change the mission. God, please don't change how this started. You see, a lot of times, like the Galatians, we find ourselves working at it in our own strength. Who's bewitched you, Paul said? Who's said that now that this work that was started in you by the Spirit somehow can be finished or completed by works of the flesh? The same work that God started in you by His Spirit must be completed in you by the Holy Spirit. And that's what, that's what Moses is saying here. God, I didn't start this by my own work. I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask God to be a baby that was saved in the, uh, you know, when Pharaoh was killing all the little boys. I didn't ask to be saved. I didn't ask to be put in a little basket and sent down the river. I didn't ask to grow up in Pharaoh's palace. I didn't ask, but your sovereign hand, oh God, was on me. Your hand, your call was on me. And the same hand of, of God that was on me. Lord, let it be this day that I will see your glory. That's how we continue the work that God's called us to. That's how we fulfill the plans and the purposes of God. It's not, it's not in our own strength and our ability. It's our, it's our vision statement, our mission, our verse. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come yeah. upon you. That is the power that continues the work of God in our lives. And he says, Lord, show me your glory. He didn't say, God, give me success. God, show me your glory. God, he didn't say, make me the most successful church in the city. God, don't make me the nicest building in, in town. God, don't. He had three million complainers following him. <laughs> it's interesting that when strife comes, you really recognize what your, what your heart is all about. It really begins to cause the, the, the details of your heart and your life to come out. What's really, what's really in there in the middle of the storm starts to come out. Then he said, I will make all my goodness. Everybody say all. all. All my goodness. All my glory. Pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. True. Talking about the diverse excellencies of God. Talking about the diverse excellencies of who Jesus is. He's the lion and the lamb who deserves the respect. That's what we're seeing here. This greatness of God. The greatness of His glory. And the Lord said in verse 21, Here is, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you. Did you catch that? While my glory passes by. Same phrase that Mark says about Jesus. That he intended to pass by. When my glory passes by. Why does, why does Jesus come walking on the water in the middle of the storm? For the same reason that God put Moses in the cleft of the rock. To reveal his glory. Why does Jesus come, come out on the storm? Why does Jesus come walking on the water in the middle of the storm? To show you his glory. To show you his glory. He says that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you. With my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You know, it's interesting. You know, if I was Moses, I would have been my natural self. I would have been a little ticked off at God at this point. God, I want to see your glory. I don't want to just see your back. I want to see your whole glory. I want to see your face. Lord, you know, you can, you can sustain me to see your glory. I want to see you. I'm leading three million people. God, I, I'm, you know, I want to see your glory. But when God touches your eyes. See, I think it was less for Moses about what he saw and more about the touch. I think it was less about what Moses was seeing. It was about the touch of the hand of God on his face, on his life. 
See, one touch from the Master heals your body. One touch. You can see, you can see His glory all day. Oh, but when He touches you, it becomes personal. When He touches you, there's a transfer of that, that glory that's on Him. It gets on you. The smell, the aroma of His presence gets on you. There were things that Moses couldn't see unless God touched his eyes. There was places that Moses needed to go, but had God not touched his eyes, he would never have seen. There are things in your life that God wants to reveal to you, but he's got to touch your eyes. Don't miss. Don't miss the moment when God wants to encounter. Your, he wants you to have this encounter with his presence. But don't just write it off if you don't see, like Naaman said, the waving of the hand in the big show. It's not about the big show. It's about that intimate moment with God where he comes and he gets close enough just to touch your eyes. He's got to get close enough just to put his hand on you. And when God places his hand on you, you're leaving that encounter with him with something that you didn't have before. He saw his back. But in that moment, he saw a lot more. You know, there's another story like this in 1 Kings. If you flip over to 1 Kings with me, 1 Kings chapter 19. There's another experience where Jesus passes by, where the glory of the Lord passes by. In Exodus chapter, I'm sorry, in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah is running for his life. Verse 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt yourself in a place of depression? That's really what Elijah was experiencing. He was experiencing depression and discouragement. He was in ministry. He was in, he was in full-time ministry. He was, I mean, Elijah, let's talk about the miracles Elijah had seen and yet he still found himself in a place of discouragement, despair, depression. He comes and he says, Lord, this is enough. Just kill me. Just take my life. He says, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and he said to him, arise and eat. And then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he laid down and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of, four, of the food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of the God. It's funny that God would send him on a mission that he already knew in advance was too long and would, would require strength that Elijah didn't have. And so, one, Elijah is already depressed, he's already discouraged, and he's coming and he's laying down. You know, a lot of times when we face discouragement or despair, we want to give up. We want to stop doing whatever God's called us to do. Throw in the towel, God, I can't take it anymore. It's enough. And God doesn't say that. God says, actually, actually, Elijah, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do something even greater than what you've already done. So eat, take care of yourself, because we're getting ready to go on a greater journey. But God, don't you know, I'm, I'm depressed. <laughs> I'm discouraged. You've got to stop this. Elijah, no, no. I'm going to send the angel to minister life to you. You're going to need to eat. It's very practical. This wasn't supernatural food. It was regular human food. Take care of yourself, Elijah. God says the same thing to you and I today. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Will your physical body sustain what God's called you to do? Take care of yourself. Eat and take care of yourself. Y'all hear what I'm saying? <laughs> was, it, was it real spiritual? It was very practical. And so Elijah takes care of himself. He eats, and this is what happens. Verse 11. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Again, the glory of the Lord. God, why did Jesus come out on the water? To show his glory. And the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, <laughs> I would say, God, you got my attention. What are you trying to say? You see, the, the point of all of that, the fire, 
the wind, the earthquake, was to get Elijah's attention. Does God have to yell to get your attention? That's really what God was doing. He was yelling at Elijah saying, hey, would you listen? Would you tune out? Would you turn off? Uh, I use the phrase a lot, you got to turn off all the other faucets. You know, sometimes you're, you're, you're going about your Christian life and you've got a family faucet running in the kitchen. And then in the other back bedroom, you've got a, you've got a financial problem running. And, then, and you're running all over the house trying to maintain all these faucets that are running in your house. And eventually this thing's going to overflow. Let me just tell you this. Turn off the faucets. Turn off. Get in a quiet place with the Lord. Stop all the chaos. Stop all the running around your house. Get the faucets turned off. Deal with the issues. Get them turned off. And get in a quiet place with the Lord. And that's what, that's what Elijah had to do. And this is what the Lord did. And after that, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, covered his face, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He heard the voice of the Lord. It wasn't about the volume. God, God's intent wasn't about the volume of what he was saying. It was about the intimacy to hear the whisper, you've got to get close. To have God's hand put on your eyes, you've got to get close. Are you getting close enough to God that He can touch you and speak to you in a personal way? Are you keeping Him at a distance? Are you distracted by the faucets and all the things in your life? Are you willing to get alone with God and hear that voice that will transform you? And the voice said, God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, I've called you to do great and mighty things. I've placed my hand, my anointing, my mantle on your life to not sit under the tree and be depressed. What's God done in your life? He hasn't called you to just go sit under a tree and retire somewhere because you're spiritually exhausted. He's called you to eat and to drink of Him, to feast on His goodness and to get up and go out and minister to the hurting and the broken. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. Well, the presence of the Lord will transform your life. If you stay depressed, if you stay discouraged under that tree, guess where you're going to stay? You'll never see the greatness of God in your life. You'll never see the fulfillment of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Jesus came walking on the water to show them his glory. He walks in the water. He's still walking on the water of your life. Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 3 says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is walking on the water. And then here we find Peter. <laughs> Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Augustine said it like this. Lord, will what you command what you will but give what you command. Yeah. Philippians 2.13 says that uh, God is working in you both the will and the do for His good pleasure. God has to give us the desire and the ability to fulfill that desire yeah. is what Augustine and Paul said here in Philippians. And that's the same thing that Peter is saying right here to Jesus on the water. Lord, if it's you, you've got to tell me to come. Yeah. Lord, you've got to beckon me to come out of the boat. And then here goes Peter climbing out of the boat to get out on the water with Jesus. If you're ever going to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. Yeah. What is your boat? Maybe your boat is fear. Maybe you're comfortable in your relationships or your success. Maybe it's a sin issue. Whatever your boat is, that boat will keep you from getting out on the water where Jesus is. Jesus is out of the boat. And Jesus is perfectly comfortable being out of the boat. Jesus is happy out of the boat. There's joy walking on the water with Jesus. There's joy in His presence. Why? Because you're doing something. You're walking one in the presence of the Lord and you're doing something you couldn't ordinarily do in your own strength, in your own ability. Jesus is working in and through your life. But Peter had to abandon himself. 
He had to abandon everything he was comfortable with. He had to leave everything that he was familiar with. He had to let go of his disciple friends in the boat and say, look, hey, if you're not getting out with me on the water, that's fine. You can stay in the boat where you're comfortable. But as for me, I'm getting out on the boat where Jesus is. You know how scary that must have been for Peter. I don't, I don't personally like water. I'm not a professional fisherman. I would imagine that, that uh, Peter, having been a fisherman, was comfortable, more comfortable with water than what I am. But I have a, let's say, a healthy fear of water. And I don't like water. I'm not a swimmer. And I don't intend to ever be a swimmer. It's not, not uh, ever, that, uh, not on my radar. My wife told me if we live in New Orleans, you have to learn how to swim. Obviously, we were surrounded by water. That's part of the reason why we said we had to move. <laughs> yeah, the Great Lakes. Whether Peter sank or whether Peter walked on the water was dependent on him getting out of the boat and focusing on Jesus. Jesus can beckon you to come, but will you yield? Jesus is saying, come out on the water with me, but will you yield? I would have trouble with that. To consciously think, okay, I've got to get out of this boat. I've got to climb over the edge of this boat. And it is physically impossible for this water to support me. Now, I might be able to stay afloat for a couple of seconds, but it's pretty stormy. The wind, the Bible said, is being vexed or tormented, so this is a pretty bad storm. So I'm not going to be able to stay afloat long. So when Peter began to step out of that boat, he was yielding everything to Jesus. He was giving up full control of his life and whether or not he lived or he died. But here's the truth about this. That opportunity may have only happened in that one moment because the reality is they were in the middle of a severe storm. And if he didn't get out of the boat, would he have he had lived or died? Because it wasn't until Peter got out of the water and walked on the water with Jesus and he sank. And Jesus pulled him back up and put him in the boat. It wasn't until Jesus put Peter back in the boat that the storm died. Had Peter never gotten out of that boat, we don't really know, and I don't think I'm abusing Scripture here, but it doesn't really say, but I think that the reality is true that had Peter not gotten out of that boat, we don't know if the storm would have actually ceased. We don't know if Jesus would have really just passed them on by and said, okay, I'll find the next person willing to get out of the boat with me. See, in the middle of your situation... You can stay in your boat of comfort. You can stay in your boat of fear. You can stay in your boat of sin. You can stay in whatever your boat is. But I promise you that boat's not going to stay afloat. I promise you in the middle of that storm, that boat, that boat will not sustain you. The only thing that will sustain you is walking on the water with Jesus. It's, it, it messes with your mind. Now, I just have to say, if I look at this very naturally in my natural mind, it really does mess with your mind. You mean I am more secure walking with Jesus on the water than staying in a boat? I would think staying in the boat, right, in our natural way of thinking. But the way of the Spirit is, is in conflict with our natural mind. God does things that supersede our natural mind. So I would encourage you, don't allow, and I think this is actually in today's devotion, don't allow skepticism to keep you in the boat. When we, begin, when we are skeptical, it allows faith to be quenched in our lives. Don't skepticize what God's calling you to do. Trust Him and step out of the boat. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water with Jesus. And then all of a sudden he begins to sink. When does he sink? When he saw the wind. Now, I think that's an interesting statement here, that Peter saw the wind, he saw what was happening, and then he sank. How many of you see wind? Anybody? We see the effects of wind, right? It's interesting that our natural mind focuses more on symptoms than the solution. We focus more on the effects of the wind and the problem. We really don't, we really don't see the real problem. We see the symptoms of the problem. And not the solution. We focus on our symptoms and not who Jesus is in the, in the middle of our problem. How many, of, how many people don't go to the doctor when they first have symptoms of sickness? Because of their, fear, their fear of the symptoms are greater oftentimes than even what the sickness is. And likewise, 
We don't get out on the water because we see the symptoms of the wind around us and the issues that are swirling around us instead of just trusting God who's the solution. Peter had to get out in the middle of the symptoms until the solution was found in his own heart. God wants to transform you, but you have to get out on the water. Try doing something different. Try just adjusting your life. This, this is so simple. I'm going to give you something very practical. Something very practical to get out of the boat. If you worship like this, try worshiping like this. Very simple. Just get out of the boat. If you're, if you're amen, say amen. Say amen! <laughs> Making sure you're awake. If you're... If you don't have a prayer life, I'm not asking you to pray an hour. Just start for two or three minutes a day. Yeah. Just start somewhere. Someone asked me the other day, how, how can people pray? You know, Smith Wigglesworth and such are noted as praying four, five, six hours at a time. How could people do that? And I would, I, my response was, you don't even realize you're doing it. It's, not about a, it's no longer about a time constraint. You're just, everything you do, every moment with God, you're enjoying Him and pressing into His presence. You don't have to set the time. Just start. If you try clapping your hands. Do something different. Maybe sit in a different seat. You would be amazed... At what changing your proximity to the presence of God will do. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I have noticed, I have done a scientific study in my own life, and I have found this to be very true on an ongoing basis. That when I sit in the back, I am more disengaged than when I sit in the front. I have also discovered in my own life, and this has been proven and tested, not just in my own life, we've told people to do this, and it's worked for them, it's very successful, and so I'll encourage you to do the same, that the presence of the Lord seems to increase in your life the closer you get to the front. Yeah. Now, do I, do I think that has to do with being close to the stage, and the stage is the ark of the presence of the Lord? No, <laughs> I, I don't. I think what happens, though, is you engage. Well, this is just what I've always done. Those... <laughs> Most of the time when people say that, they're, they're innocent. Um, the, the other phrase that I love is, well, they're a fixture in our church. And they look like the painting that's been there for 50 years and haven't moved. They are fixtures in the church. That's what a fixture is. Those sta that statement, that we've never done it that way before. I, this is what I've always done. Are always the first words of death. It's always the first words of death. Why is that? Because you're in your boat. You're comfortable in your boat. And you don't want anybody to get you out of your boat. I like my boat. I have, I, have, I have my boat. I have my own boat. My boat is, I don't, I'm not a socializer. I'm not, I'm not a people person. When I said that I have to get out and work at evangelizing, that is one of the things that I have to get out of my personal boat on. I hate talking to people. I'm sorry. I love you, but I hate talking to people. It's not, it's not my gift. So being the social butterfly and all of those things and, and, and chit-chat, I am horrible at chit-chat. Don't ever get me in a chit-chat conversation. I will be the most awkward person around. Unless I know you and I have something to chit-chat about, then I'm okay. But, but if I don't know you, me, chit I have to get out of my boat. But, you know, when I get out of my boat and I, and I make it a point to meet people and talk to people and hear their stories and hear what God's doing in their life, you know, God begins to move in a supernatural way. God begins to give me words of encouragement for those people and scriptures for those people and shows me how to pray for those people and how to minister to those people. And so you got to get out of your boat. Yeah. You all hear what I'm saying this morning. Do something that you've not done before. Jesus said to him, come. Peter had to yield. 
Jesus wants you to get on the other side of the storm, but you got to get out of the boat first. Jesus wants to get you out of the issues that you're facing, but you got to get out of the boat. God wants you to move into a supernatural ministry, but you got to get out of the boat. You got to trust Him. You got to get out, out and walk on the water with Jesus. I want to wrap up with this story real quick. Another personal story. I, um, as I said earlier, I hate water. That's my other boat I got to get out of. <laughs> my fear of water. A couple years ago, we went, every year we have a family reunion in Texas. We're actually getting ready to go again, and we have a family reunion. We get together in Texas at one of Heather's family members, and they have, there's a lake and all that. They have all the boats and the ski, you know, all the fun stuff, and uh, fun if you like the water anyway. And uh, as for me, I sit and read. <laughs> I relax. That's good enough for me. And uh, Heather, you know, Heather's a, she, she's a water junkie. She loves the water and loves everything. You know, she, she'll crank up the jet skis to, you know, full throttle. You know, so I'm like, okay. You know, she loves all that. And so she, she kept bugging me this trip. She said, you got to come out on, on the jet ski with me. It's not that bad. Just wear a life jacket. You'll be fine. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. You go have fun. You'll be fine. No, you got to come out. Come on out. It'll be fun. I'll go slow. Okay. Now, I don't want to say she lied, but <laughs> she just got tempted while she was out there. <laughs> so we go out on the water, and, you know, she starts speeding up, and she wasn't going too fast. And I thought, the thought crossed my mind at one point, okay, Jesus, I'm going to die today. And at least I'm with my wife, so that's good. But... I've, and, and so the, I, this is honestly what my prayer was. Lord, I know that you're doing this for a reason. You're sitting, you're sitting in heaven and you're laughing at me right now. <laughs> I got that. You sit in the heavens and laugh. I got that. And so you're laughing at this situation. I ought to laugh too. You're laughing and you're completely happy about this. So I need to be happy about this. So Lord, you need to change my heart in this. Because I, I mean, I was leaving fingernail marks in Heather's side. So... I need to be happy about this. Now, don't anybody take this as a sign that I'm going to go out on a jet ski with you. I'm just telling you. <laughs> this was a temporary moment, you know. Um, so, Lord, you got to change me on this. I'm going to enjoy this. And I just felt like the Lord say to me, and this is so cheesy, and it's, but it worked. It helped. He said, would I not be with you if you died? Aren't you going to be in heaven if you die? Why do you need to worry about whether or not you're going to fall off and drown? You'll be fine. One way or the other, you'll be fine. <laughs> like, okay, what do you do with that, you know? Like, I am taking on the anointing of the martyrs. If I, if I live, I'm good. If I die, I'm good. I'm like, okay, got this. So I relaxed. And wouldn't you know, we relaxed. And we start idling. We just we were watching the family on their jet skis and stuff, and we're we're idling in the water, not doing a thing. We're idle. I want to emphasize we were just sitting there. And I look across the lake, and here comes this wave. And I'm thinking, you know, that doesn't look too good. <laughs> that wave does not look good. But you know, we're on a jet ski. We're just gonna go with the wave, you know, no big deal. And that wave comes right up and hits our jet ski and dumps us over into the water. And I thought, Lord, you are tricky. <laughs> you are the God of Jacob. I got that. You are a tricky God. You just said, and, and I was fine. Of course, I'm standing here today. I'm fine. I, it was no big deal. I had a life jacket on. I floated right back to the top. But it was God's way of just... It was making a lasting impression on me. You got to get out of the boat. You just got to get out of the boat. Just trust me. Who cares if you end up in the water? Peter began to sink. And what did Jesus do as he was sinking? He pulled him up. Are you going to sink? You absolutely will. It's inevitable. Every one of us, when we begin to step out and walk with Jesus, there's going to come a point in our lives where we find ourselves sinking because we've gotten our eyes on the circumstance, the symptoms, and not the solution. 
It's going to happen to all of us. Maybe the problem this morning is not that you've never gotten out of the boat. Maybe the problem this morning is that you've gotten out of the boat before, but somehow you climbed back in and you have forgotten the joys of walking on the water with Jesus. It may have been 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, and you can remember the, that excitement and the hope that lit up in the person's eyes where you shared Jesus with them. You can remember the joy in their lives when you shared Christ with somebody. You can remember the passion and the excitement when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can remember the passion and the excitement with God. It's like the, it's like the smell of the water in the air. You can remember it. You can remember those moments with God years gone by. But that's when at the last time you've ever gotten out on the boat and walked with Jesus. I want to encourage you, get back out of the boat. Get out on the water. If you're here this morning, and maybe you've been born again for 20, 30, 50 years, praise the Lord. Thank God for that. But your journey with God's not over. You haven't retired. Just because you retire in the natural doesn't mean you're off the hook spiritually. We have a lot of people coming in the doors who are fresh baby Christians who need discipleship. They need your wisdom. They don't need you saying, well, I don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. No, they don't. I hope they never do. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. I don't mean that disrespectfully. We, we don't want clones. We want disciples. We want disciples. We need people who are imparting wisdom and encouraging one another. Hey, you know what I experienced in God? You can experience it too. Why don't you come with me? We're going to go door to door and we're going to minister to people. We're going to go door to door and pray for people. And God's going to give us an opportunity and we're going to flow in the spiritual gifts. I'm going to show you how to flow in spiritual gifts. Let's go do it together. The problem is we haven't had that. You end up with people who are spiritually kooky. We have a lot of quacks and quakes because they've never had, they've never had people come alongside them and say, hey, this is what spiritual gifts look like. For those of you that have been in the church long enough, know what balance looks like. Get out of the boat. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I know that there are those suddenly moments waiting for us, waiting for each of us as we get out of the boat and walk on the water with you. Thank you, Lord. Come on, why don't you just lift your hands with me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, just come speak to us this morning. Lord, show us the areas of our lives where maybe we've grown comfortable inside that boat of fear. or We've grown comfortable inside that boat of security. Lord, that we'll get out and walk on the supernatural power and presence of our God. You know, this morning when Jesus says, come to you, and you get out of that boat, you're not walking on the storm, you're walking on the word of Jesus. He said, come. You're put, your foot is going to step solid on, on the word of the Lord. If God has spoken to you and he's called you to come, you can rest assured that you're going to walk on that word, walk on his promise. How is it with your soul today? How is it between you and Jesus today? Do you have a relationship with God? If Jesus were to say to you, come, would you know his voice today? How is it between you and Jesus? Do you know the voice of the Lord? Do you know his voice? The Bible says that my sheep, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Do you know his voice? How is it with you and Jesus today? Do you love Jesus? Are you walking with Him? Are you enjoying His presence? Do you get up in the morning thinking about Jesus? Do you go to bed at night thinking about Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? Do you know Him? If you're here this morning and you want to get things right between you and God, you want to know before you leave today that you have a relationship with Him, 
and things are settled in your soul with the Lord today. I want you to raise your hand right where you're at right now. Anyone this morning, just lift your hands. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning, just lift your hand right where you're at. I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in my life. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning? I want to know Jesus. Anyone else this morning? I want to know Jesus. And, and, and those that have raised their hands for salvation to come and, and, and others are going to come with you but here's my, here's my next question for you are you comfortable in the boat how's that working for you are you living the supernatural life that God's called you to live are you comfortable in the boat This is what I want to ask you today. Are you willing to get out of the boat today? Are you willing to say, Jesus, if you'll say to me, come, I'll get out. If you're here this morning, you would say, I'm ready to get out of the boat. I'm ready to walk on the water and stop striving in my own strength. Stop staying in the bondage of the boat. I'm ready to get out and walk on the water. Would you just lift your hand with me this morning? I want to walk on the water with Jesus. Just lift your hands. If you're ready to walk on the water with Jesus, just lift your hands this morning. Thank you, Jesus. I'm ready to walk. I'm ready to walk with you, Lord. I don't want to stay comfortable. I don't want to stay comfortable. I don't want to stay comfortable this morning. In my own agenda, my own things, my own security, my own fears, I'm ready to get out and walk with you. Here's what we're going to do this morning. There's quite a few. This is encouraging. Let me say this as, a, as your pastor and, and say to you, this is encouraging. That, that a majority of folks in this room are willing to raise their hands and publicly say, I want to get out of the boat. That's awesome. But here's my follow-up to that. Do it. <laughs> Every ounce of power that you need, every word that you need to do it, everything that Peter needs to be successful at water walking was available to him. He just had to do it. He just had to do it. I love the food pantry and the, the Hope Center and everything that's going on with the Hope Center because all we did was hear from God and say, we'll get out of the boat. And when we did, a thousand meals later in a month, two thousand meals later served, we're walking on the water. How, how, do you, how do you do that? I don't know how we do that, actually. That's a lot of food. That is a lot of food that we've gone through in three months. I don't know how, how did the volunteers, how do, I really, it's supernatural. You just got to get out of the boat walk on the water. That's all it is. How do you see a church? We're going on next month. July will be a year since we've been here. How in a year's time, I was thinking about this the other day, how in a year's time can we grow and transform so much? What we've seen happen in a year's time, most churches don't see in many years. We've seen incredible transformation in a year's time. How does that happen? Just willing to get out of the boat. Say, God, we trust you. Whatever you want to do. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you this morning for our church and for those that are willing to step out of the boat. Lord, I pray that there would be a stirring in every person's heart that is publicly said this morning, I want to walk on the water with you, Lord, that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to nudge and convict and poke and prod until they do it. <laughs> Lord, it's not about the words that I say or, or what I have to offer them, but God, it's you 
beckoning them to come. It's your word. It's your power at work in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that they would do and fulfill exactly this thing today, God, that they would begin to walk on the water with you in every area of their lives. Lord, that there would be no fear, no discouragement, no depression, Lord, no no anxiety, no more camping out under the tree. Like you said to Elijah, what are you doing here? Lord, no more. Stay in there. They'll get out and see supernatural things begin to transpire in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.